Welcome to Leading with Intention with Monique Daniel. Over the next hour, you're going to learn how to lead more efficiently and effectively in a post-pandemic world where the workplace has changed dramatically. Now, here's Monique. Welcome to the show. I'm Monique. Thanks for tuning in today. Today, I am doing another solo show. I weave these in now and then when I receive requests from guests or clients for particular topics. So I have received a request for this topic today, and my previous solo show aired on June 1st, 2023, where I covered the importance of informational interviews for leaders to get more visibility in the workplace. So if you are a leader interested in that, please go back and listen to that episode on informational interviews where I gave six steps to leaders to how they can get more visibility that way. Today, I'll be discussing how to give feedback to your direct reports and even to your own boss and also what to do with feedback that people give to you in the workplace. So if you're a leader, you'll want to tune into this special episode today to see how some of my coaching clients successfully handled these types of situations. I'll be using some case studies to take you through how I worked with them in coaching to give this kind of feedback. We'll also be taking questions from listeners. So as you're listening to the episode, if you have questions about anything I'm covering, I invite you to email me at monique at mdconsultingglobal.com. And also any of the strategies or tools that I go through today, you can email me there and I will happily send you what I'm going through today so that you will have it and you can try out the different behaviors I'll be talking about today. The problem that I'm seeing in coaching when leaders come to me about feedback is that they are very passive in giving feedback to their direct reports. So if this is you, you'll want to pay close attention today because many leaders are just very hesitant to give feedback. They consider themselves maybe highly empathetic, so they feel bad, they feel guilty for giving feedback They are also very hesitant to give needed feedback to their own boss because sometimes our bosses need feedback too. And lastly, they don't know what to do with feedback that they receive from other people. So I'll be covering these three important components today and really the impact this has when leaders are too passive is that their feedback messages are getting watered down. They're not being concise. They're not being direct. So their employees or their direct reports aren't taking them seriously. So if you have given what you consider feedback to your direct reports and you're not seeing any changes, it could be because of the way you are delivering the message. Then when it comes to yearly performance evaluations, direct reports are very surprised that they're not getting a good evaluation because many times the feedback shows up on the performance evaluation, but the direct reports were never told in advance. And that is not a good practice. Also, when leaders cannot give their own boss feedback, that boss's poor behavior continues. And lastly, if you're a leader and you are receiving feedback and you're ignoring it, you also are not growing. So that is the impact that we're seeing when people don't realize how to deliver or receive feedback. So the outcome that you want and that you will hopefully receive by the end of this episode today is a framework to give actionable and effective feedback to your direct reports. You'll be hearing about a strategy that one of my clients used for giving her own manager feedback. And then we're going to cover a process for requesting and acting on feedback that you receive yourself. So there's going to be three really important case studies that we'll go through today so you can see how I worked with some of my clients on this in coaching. 
The first case study is a hiring manager named Marsha. She needed to give feedback to her direct report. And John was her direct report. He was a project manager. He had been with the company for six years, normally a very high performer. But for the past six months, he had been missing deadlines, not keeping meetings on track. So things were really unorganized. He was dropping the ball on really important tasks. And projects were really suffering. Stakeholders were upset. They were the ones that went to Marsha, his boss, and complained multiple times because of his poor performance. Now, Marsha was my client, and she came to coaching about this because she told me that she had been giving him feedback. And this is really common with a lot of leaders They truly believe they have been giving good feedback and that they're just not seeing an improvement. So we broke this down a little bit in coaching before we even talked about John's issue. We looked at Marsha's behavior. And as a leader, this is where you have to start. You have to look at yourself first. So Marsha described herself as being very passive. She was highly empathetic and she considered herself a people pleaser. She was more of a friend to her direct reports. And because of that, she was giving what I call watered watered down feedback, a watered down version of feedback. A couple of times she said to John, you need to get on track. You need to get more organized. So in her mind, that was her giving him feedback, but that was a watered down version. And when I say that Marsha was highly empathetic, I have a lot of clients that are highly empathetic, and really that means that in Marsha's case, she really didn't want to hurt John's feelings. She did not want to be too direct or too assertive. She was afraid she would lower his morale if she gave really direct feedback and Really, she didn't know how to be direct because it was just part of her personality to be more passive. So what we did in coaching is that we worked on her behavior and then we crafted how she could have the conversation with John so that she could be more direct. And what I'll do in a few moments here, I will break down the conversation that she had with him But in summary, what we did, we crafted the conversation. I had her use a strategy called bluff, bottom line up front. And if any of my clients are listening right now, you will know this is familiar to you because we use it all the time in coaching. So bluff is something that is a very good strategy for being direct and concise and to the point. And I will break that down for you in a moment so that you have a tool to use after this episode. We also made sure Marsha had examples for John when she had the conversation with him. We made sure she was still using empathy because she was highly empathetic. And we're hearing a lot right now about how leaders need to be more empathetic in the workplace. So we don't ever want someone to not have empathy. But in Marsha's case, she needed to downplay it a little bit so that she could be more assertive. And we had her downplay her empathy by the use of data or examples. And you'll understand more about that in a second. But normally, if someone's highly empathetic, in order to downplay that, you weave in data and examples into the conversation because those are things the direct report cannot argue about. When you provide examples and specific information, that is accurate and those are facts. So it helps you water down your empathy a little bit and downplay it. Now for leaders who are the opposite, who don't have enough empathy and they come at a feedback conversation, maybe with uh, too, maybe too assertively or too harshly with too much data, too many examples, we have them reduce the amount of examples and increase the amount of empathy. So that's how you balance it. You want both in one of those conversations. So 
she ended the conversation with an action step for John. And we will get to that also. So those were the components of the conversation, which I'll break down for you. But the outcome of that, after she had the conversation, because she was so empathetic and downplayed it a bit, she learned some things about John because it was an actual collaborative conversation. And she scheduled a follow-up meeting with him in order to have a second conversation. So it became very collaborative. And she noted an improvement in one month after having the conversation. And the exact stakeholders who were complaining in the first place are the ones that gave her the really great feedback a month later. So she had a lot of success with that conversation. So now I'm going to break down the conversation for you and all of the components so that you have an example of how this was used. So I mentioned the strategy of bluff. Now that stands for bottom line upfront. And normally when we speak, we tend to give a lot of context and detail and we tell the whole story and then we get to the point at the end. But when you're giving feedback, you don't want to do that. You want to get to the point right away. And as a matter of fact, the first sentence out of your mouth should be your bluff statement, your bottom line. So in Marsha's case with John, her bluff statement as soon as he came into her office was, John, I'd like to give you some feedback about your performance over the past six months and then work together to make improvements. That was her bottom line. It was direct. It was assertive. He knew why he was there. He knew he'd be getting some feedback. But she also ended that statement by saying, let's work together. So she's basically telling him she's going to support him in this. Then she went on to give three examples. And anytime you use a bluff statement, you want to then follow it up as best you can with about three very concise talking points. That way they back up your bluff statement. So her three talking points were three examples of poor performance. And this is what I mean by data. So she balanced her empathy, which is still coming in the conversation, with data. And her three examples were, on May 10th, you missed a deadline. The meeting you conducted on June 2nd ended with no actionable steps for the group and they were confused. One of the stakeholders, and she gave the name, emailed you two weeks ago, and she gave the date, and is still waiting on a response. All right, so there's three examples of his dropping the ball, three data points. She then went on to say, I have some other examples, but wanted to first ask if everything is okay. All right, so here's the beginning of the empathy part where she's truly wondering what's wrong here. She went on to say, she asked an open-ended question, how do you think your performance has been lately? So she's putting the conversation back on John. And at that point, I really encourage my leaders to stop talking. You've stated your bluff. You've given your three examples or your data points, and you've asked an open-ended question. You know, what's happening here? Are you okay? How do you think your performance has been? And then you listen. You stop talking and you listen. So Marsha was really good at the listening part because remember, she was really high in empathy and she was good at asking the open-ended questions. In her case, she had to include the data points, the examples. But if you are a leader who tends to be too harsh and all you include are examples, you need to balance your feedback with empathy and with open-ended questions and with listening so that you can really balance that out and make sure that you've got a good, a good piece of empathy and a good piece of the data so that you're not coming across as too harsh. So she incorporated all those points and then she said, I'd like to support you here. What do you need from me to turn this around? Another open-ended question. So she actually 
put it back on John to take ownership. Now, this is where a lot of leaders probably drop the ball. They think they need to come up with the the way to fix this. They don't put the ownership back on the direct report. So I had to work with Marsha on this because again, being high in empathy, she wanted to take ownership of fixing the problem. So she allowed him to go away and think about it and come back in the follow-up meeting and let her know what his plan was to fix everything. And what his plan was, he took each of her examples for the deadline that he missed. He realized he wasn't referencing the project plan. So he needed to go back on a regular basis and reference the project plan with all of his deadlines. The example about being unorganized in meetings, he decided to have a better agenda and meeting minutes that he could give out to the group afterwards so that they weren't confused, so that everyone knew what they were supposed to do. As far as the stakeholder that he hadn't responded to, he flagged his emails differently so that he saw urgent emails and he could respond back when he needed to. So he came back with the plan, which relieved Marsha of the responsibility of having to figure out what he should be doing. So it allowed her to be very direct and very concise and assertive with him, letting him know there's a problem. It definitely was more direct than her previous feedback of getting on track or get more organized. And she used all the components of bluff, actions, empathy, listening, and data, and then gave John the ownership of what to do or how he was going to fix the problem. So this was Marsha's way of handling it. And as I mentioned already, she had a really good response from the stakeholders about a month later. They no longer were complaining. They gave her really good feedback about his behavior. And because she had a conversation with him, she learned that he had been having some personal problems. That's what, why he was dropping the ball at work. So she wouldn't have known that if she hadn't asked those open-ended questions and allowed John to speak. So it's very important that you still incorporate empathy into your feedback conversations. All right, so hopefully you can walk away with some tools for giving feedback to a direct report. If you've just tuned in, this is a solo show today, and I've been talking about how one of my clients, Marsha, gave feedback to her direct report. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'll answer a few questions that have come in, and then you'll hear how my client, Kathy, gave feedback to her manager, which was a really tough situation. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. At MD Consulting, we provide executive coaching to leaders struggling with workplace challenges and pain points. Unlike other coaching companies that use a Band-Aid approach, we have a specific set of tools and processes to thoroughly root cause and unpack a client's challenges. Our specialized method helps you implement measurable and sustainable solutions to enhance your leadership skills and develop your team. Visit www.mdconsultingglobal.com to book a complimentary breakthrough session. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Flick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Leading with Intention with Monique Daniel. Have a question for Monique or her guests? Email Monique at Monique at MDConsultingGlobal.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. I'm Monique. In this solo show, we're talking about how to give feedback that is actionable and effective. Before I go into my next case study, I'll respond to a few questions that have come in. One listener wrote in, what if you're giving feedback to the direct report and they get defensive? That's a very good question, and it does happen a lot. And this is where I encourage you to stick with the process that I've gone through in the first segment. If you stick with that process and you have good examples, legitimate examples of the poor performance, that direct report cannot argue with fact. So if there is defensiveness, you can go back to those examples that you gave in the first place. And again, this is a time where you have to downplay your empathy because defensiveness is passive aggressive behavior and the employee is trying to get you to back down. So you need to really downplay your empathy and stick to the facts so that you won't feel guilty and you won't feel bad for giving that information. And the really the fact is the meeting is only scheduled to go a certain amount of time. And when that time is up, you end the meeting and you're really not responsible for the employee's defensiveness. So you have to go into it with that mindset. A second question that came in, what if there is some improvement and then the person backslides again? This also happens a lot. And I encourage you to continue with the same process. Keep giving feedback immediately. Don't put it off. And then at some point, if there is consistent backsliding, you have to determine if this is a legitimate performance problem and if you need to get HR involved or if you need to put your person on a PIP, performance improvement plan. All of that happens in repeated conversations. But the important point is that you continue to give the feedback and continue to monitor the person's performance. Okay, we're going to go into another case study, and this is a really tough situation. My client, Kathy, wanted to give feedback to her manager, and Kathy's manager was a VP, and he had a way of belittling her and using very condescending language toward her. So in her case, she mentioned it to him once. It was kind of off the cuff. She said, that's insulting. And she laughed. And he said, Kathy, you're way too sensitive. So right away, he was making her wrong for feeling insulted. But on the other hand, she was very passive in her feedback to him because she laughed after she said it. And she laughed because she was nervous. I mean, this was her boss, a VP. And she was worried about what would happen if she actually gave him really direct feedback. And it's a, it's something to worry about because it's a risky situation. So with Kathy in coaching, we crafted the conversation together because she did decide she did want to try giving him really direct feedback and wanted to see what would happen. So you, you always have to assess that situation before you give feedback. You really have to think about what the consequences could be if you give feedback. But I always encourage my clients to have a voice and to really try at least once to give this kind of feedback. So we crafted the conversation. 
we started out making a couple of assumptions in his favor. We realized, first of all, that we would be doing him a favor if she gave him feedback. We assumed that maybe no one has ever told him these things before, or maybe no one like Kathy had ever been clear because she wasn't clear at first when she gave him feedback. So maybe everyone else was doing that too. So it was important for Kathy to not let it build up. As I talked about in the previous example, the previous case study, don't let it build up, give feedback as soon as possible. So we used a similar strategy as you heard in the first case study. She went in with a mindset of being neutral not being defensive, not being angry. And she used the bluff strategy. So bottom line up front, and she used the open-ended question technique. So bluff and open-ended questions. And it actually, in this case, went well for her. We'll break down that conversation also, but her outcome was that she had the conversation with him and he actually apologized and he said that he would try to do better. Now, that is the ideal outcome that does not always happen. Sometimes you will get a mix of responses. So let's break this down a little bit. Her bluff statement, so her VP's name was Jacob. Her bluff statement was, Jacob, can I give you some feedback about something that's bothering me? So in this case, her bluff was a question. She was asking permission to give feedback. And here's where it can get really tricky because he could have said, no, you cannot give me feedback. If that happens, you need to honor that request and not give the feedback at that point. Now, I would suggest trying it again another time, or if the situation happens again, keep trying. If the person keeps refusing the feedback, then you have every right to escalate it. And I think you should if you are being belittled or if someone's being condescending to you or if there's any kind of verbal harassment going on and if they won't accept your feedback, then you do need to escalate it because you have already tried and failed to give feedback. So you have to take it higher to the next person. In this case, Jacob agreed to listen to her feedback. So Again, the technique from the previous case study, she gave an example. She gave an example of what he said, and she also added in how it made her feel, which in her case was offended. She felt offended. Now, this is not a part of the previous case study where we included the person's feelings, because that case study was not relevant to how someone's performance made their manager feel. But in this case, this vice president had made her feel really offended. And as I mentioned before, uh, insulted. So she gave the example of the exact time when it happened, the situation, how it made her feel. And then she made a second request. Can we talk about this? So in this case, Her manager was very open to this. Jacob was ready to listen and talk about it. Now, I always recommend that these conversations not be very long. You really don't want to drag these things out, especially because you're using bluff, bottom line up front. So you're trying to be concise and you're trying to be assertive. And you don't want to lose your personal power. That's what this is all about, is having a voice and having your own your personal power. And the longer these conversations drag out, the harder it's going to be to maintain your power because they're, they're emotionally exhausting. And I don't mean power as in power struggle. I mean personal power, empowerment. And that's hard to maintain when you go into these conversations for a really, really long time. 
So if anything, I recommend that the conversations be under 30 minutes because again, you're going to state your point, give the examples, in this case, how it felt. And there might be a, a short conversation about it while you're because you're going to then listen, you're going to listen to the other person. And then you're going to put the ownership back on the other person. You're going to really end it with a request for some kind of a commitment for different behavior. So in her case, Kathy said, can we talk about this? I think this conversation was maybe 15 minutes. And he really, our assumptions were correct. He did not realize that he was being so condescending. He had not been told that before. So this was the first time ever that anyone stepped up, was brave enough to have this kind of conversation with him. So it completely took him off guard that he was behaving that way. Now, he did commit to trying to change the behavior. He apologized. He said he would do better. But the, the conversation ended with her making a request. Can we talk about this? I, I would like to see something different next time. You know, I would like you to not be so condescending next time. So she had to make a request. And that's the part of some of these conversations that don't happen is that people don't make a request as to what they want in the outcome. Now, in the first case study, that hiring manager needed her direct report to turn around his performance. And she gave him very specific examples and needed him to change that. So that was her request from her direct report. In, in this case, Kathy needed a commitment that she would not be treated so poorly going forward. So this had a very, very good outcome. He did apologize. He said he would do better. And the bottom line is that Kathy felt really, really empowered. She did not think that this is how it would end up. She thought she would have pushback. She thought he would be defensive. She actually thought he would retaliate. And that is something that can happen. That's why you have to think very carefully about giving your manager feedback. You have to go in very deliberate and prepare for what the consequences could be. So it really depends how often this person has done this to you, what kind of behavior it is. In this case, it was belittling and condescending behavior, but he agreed to make some changes. So that is an example of how you can give feedback to your manager. I suggest you work with a coach on it so that they can help you frame out the conversation because it is so risky and it takes some skill in doing that. But you now have a framework that you can use using bluff, open-ended questions, making requests, and so if that happens to you where you need to give your manager feedback, you've got a framework for how you can do that. So I hope that has been helpful to you to listen to Kathy's story and how it was such a success for her. You've been listening to Leading with Intention on the Voice America Business Channel. This is a solo show about how to give feedback to your direct reports and to your manager You've heard about the results that two of my clients had when giving feedback to their direct report and their boss. When we come back from a quick break, we'll hear how my client Dave handled his 360 feedback that he received. And again, I encourage you to email in your questions to me and I'll respond to them after break. You can do that at monique at mdconsultingglobal.com. Also a reminder, I'd love for you to visit my website at mdconsultingglobal.com and there you can subscribe to my blog. I've got topics just like this that I write about a couple times a month. Uh, I've got a YouTube channel you can subscribe to there and all my other social media. 
So I would love it for you to connect with me there. And we're going to take a quick break. So stay tuned. We will be right back. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. At MD Consulting, executive coach Monique Daigneault provides executive coaching to leaders struggling with workplace challenges and pain points. Unlike other coaching companies that use a Band-Aid approach, we have a specific set of tools and processes to thoroughly root cause and unpack a client's challenges. Our specialized method helps you implement measurable and sustainable solutions to enhance your leadership skills and develop your team. Visit www.mdconsultingglobal.com to book a complimentary breakthrough session. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday, 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Leading with Intention with Monique Daniel. Have a question for Monique or her guests? Email Monique at Monique at MDConsultingGlobal.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. I'm Monique talking to you today about how to give feedback at work. We have a question from a listener. And after I answer that, we'll talk about how another client of mine handled his 360 feedback. So the question that this listener wrote in about, I agree 100% with what you said in the case study. And I actually tried that in the past. My boss committed to make a change after I gave him feedback about his behavior but he didn't make the change. What do I do? Okay, so this is where it gets very risky. And my suggestion is that you continue to give feedback. Just like I said in the first case study with that direct report, if the direct report doesn't improve, you keep giving feedback. So same here in this case, you wanna show consistency. That's part of you being empowered and having a voice is show consistency in your behavior. Plus, you want to keep a record now of the times that you gave feedback. Because since this is your manager, if your manager is not making changes, eventually you've got a choice to make. And there is a saying, don't be afraid to leave, meaning don't be afraid to quit. If you're in an unhealthy situation with your manager, but Before you do that, some people escalate it, and I mean to HR. So again, you've got to make that choice as to what next steps you take, but you at least are getting a chance to practice your feedback skills when you keep giving feedback. So look at it as you're doing yourself a favor by continuing to stand up for yourself and empower yourself and give that feedback. And then if nothing is done, think about escalating it. So I hope that helps. We are now going to go into the final case study. And this was my client, Dave. He received 360 feedback. He was a manager with five direct reports. Now, for those of you who don't know, 360 feedback is a particular type of assessment that is used internally in companies where the person, in this case, Dave, who wants feedback, sends it out to multiple people, his manager, direct reports, and he receives back anonymous feedback. 
usually in the form of ratings and open-ended comments. And the problem here is that Dave, just like most people, they don't know what to do with the information. Those 360 reports are very lengthy, sometimes 10 or 20 pages of feedback, and nobody really knows what to do with them. So in coaching, I spend at least one, maybe two sessions debriefing that assessment with the person. We analyze it. We, we did this with Dave. We analyzed the entire report. And I look for trends in the ratings and in the comments. We're not analyzing every single comment and then trying to improve on everything that is said because that's just not realistic. So we look for trends. If the same rating has happened all the time by multiple people, or if we're seeing the same comment all the time by multiple people, that is a trend. That signifies it might be something that that Dave needs to work on. We also want to look at accuracy. The assessments are somewhat flawed because you might have someone who had a bad day when they filled out your assessment, or they're only thinking or remembering one negative interaction that they had with you, and that has been listed on your 360. So this is why it's good to have a coach debrief this with you because the coach can help you put things in perspective. We look at accuracy. We look at outliers. Is it the only comment that happened on the entire report? If so, it may not be anything to think too much of. And reflection is involved here. After the report is debriefed, I usually have my clients, and this I also did with Dave, I had him leave the session and reflect on the report, go back, reread the report, reflect on it. I had him make a list of what he wanted to work on, on the report. Just because there's 20 things on the report doesn't mean you have to work on all 20 things. I really had him make the list. And then when he came back to the next session, we prioritized the list. We looked at the things that he felt were the most important, the things that were definitely impacting his job, the areas that he wanted to grow in. And those became top priority on the action plan. So we created an action plan listing all the things he wanted to work on and then steps that we were going to take together in coaching so that he could start moving forward on those things. And that's the part that most people don't do when they get their 360. They read the report and then they put it away. They don't take any action on it and they don't grow from it. So if you are a leader and you've received your 360 feedback or really any kind of feedback, even informal feedback, it's these are things you should act on. You should at least debrief it, reflect on it, look for accuracy, look for outliers and decide on a course of action. So this can be done with a coach or by yourself. If you're doing it by yourself, you've got to be really disciplined to follow those steps. If you have a coach, the coach is the one that keeps you accountable for following the steps, creating the action plan, and implementing the action plan. So those are the steps that I took Dave through. And in Dave's case, he wanted to work on specific communication skills. That was one thing that kept coming up as a theme. Also made, making meetings more organized. That was something else that kept coming up in the feedback. And then he learned that his team wanted more feedback from him. And they also wanted more stretch projects. Now, those are very specific pieces of feedback. So he saw that quite a lot throughout the report. And we knew that those had to be worked on. So he prioritized those four things. There were more than four pieces of feedback, but those were the common themes. And we worked together to make sure that he felt it was accurate. He admitted that he didn't give his team very good feedback, that he wasn't good at it, and that he also wasn't good at helping them with stretch projects. 
and he had been given other informal feedback before about his communication skills and making meetings more organized. So those are things that he felt very comfortable working on. And coaching held him accountable because we created the action plan and then we moved forward on the action plan. So if you are receiving feedback, those are the steps that you need to take, whether you're working by yourself or with a coach. The other piece of this is thanking the raiders, the people that are raiding you on the 360. And that's where it's often overlooked. And also it's a a difficult decision to make because the feedback is anonymous. You don't know who provided what feedback. You just know who you sent the report to. You're not intended to know who answered. So you cannot specifically thank individuals because you don't know who they are, but you should thank or acknowledge them. So how do you do that? Well, with Dave, I had him send a BCC email to all of the people that he sent the report to, that he sent the 362, even whether they responded or not. And he gave a blanket message thanking everyone for considering and or responding. That's how he worded it. You know, thanks for considering responding and thank you for responding. And that way, no one knew who he was sending the email to. No one knew who he was referring to, but they felt like they were being acknowledged and thanked. The other thing he did is that he shared his action plan with his team. Now, many times people do not respond to 360s because they don't feel it's going to do any good. They feel that the leader is not really going to do anything with it. And that is true in many cases. So you want to make sure people know that you are acting on it, that you have an action plan. I've even had some leaders who have shared their entire 360 report with all the people that they asked to respond. They sent it out or they talked about it in a team meeting. And that's very, very vulnerable. It's really tough to do that. So I commend all my clients who have done that. At the very least, some clients um, share with their managers. They just give it to their manager and look, have them look at it, have them talk through it with them. And that is another way of showing that you are taking the feedback seriously. So you can do all kinds of things from not acknowledging the raiders at all. And there's no real best practice here. It's whatever you're comfortable with. You cannot acknowledge them at all. You can send a mass BCC email to them, thanking them. You can share it with the team. You can share it with your manager. You can share your action plan with the team and your manager. You can share updates as you work through your action plan. So there's many, many ways that you can really make sure people know that you are moving forward on it. And that's the, the biggest problem with the 360s or with any kind of feedback is that n- nobody really thinks you're going to do anything with it. And if you want to shift that mindset, then it's really up to you to start making some changes in your behavior when you receive these back. The 360s are, are really good to do every six months, once a year. Uh, If you change teams, if you change roles, if you change positions, they're good to do so that you can understand how people are perceiving you. And what we also look for in 360s are because you take it yourself before you send it out to others. So you rate yourself and we're looking for uh, perception. Are you being perceived by others the way you perceive yourself? So it's a a real good reality check for you. Now, what do you do if you're given informal feedback? Well, you want to make sure you trust the people that are giving you the feedback. That's the main thing. You have to take into consideration who is giving you the feedback. 
and then look at what they're saying and really use some discernment or talk with your coach about it to see if that person is accurate or not. So that's how you can handle some informal feedback. I hope these case studies have helped you today. You've heard three of them, how to give feedback to your direct report, how to give feedback to your manager, and then what to do about feedback that you receive yourself. Hopefully the tips and strategies and the techniques are things that you can use going forward. And if you know of anyone who's struggling with anything like this, please refer them to this episode. We broadcast live, but we also uh, have the recording available on demand afterwards. So I really welcome you to refer other people to it and keep listening too, because I've got great guests that come on the show and I will be doing more solo shows as I get requests for various topics. And please remember to visit my website at mdconsultingglobal.com where you can sign up for my blog and subscribe to social media. Also, if you are a leader or the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, I welcome you as a guest on the show. If you've got a great message to get out, please contact me. You have been listening to Leading with Intention on the Voice America Business Channel. I really invite you to keep tuning in each week for more information because my goal is to empower you as a leader in the workplace and give you information that will help you lead better. So come back next week. We'll talk again then. And until then, don't forget to lead with intention. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Leading with Intention. Our intention is that you walk away from this show today with new tools, techniques, and insights that help you lead more effectively and have greater impact within your company. Until we talk again, have a great week.